Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the sunshine after all the rain. We thank you for the rain. We thank you for your spirit, which feeds us, cares for us, loves us, guides us, and challenges us. We pray that you would take us deeper into who you are and who we are in you this morning. We pray that you would let us all walk out of here sensing something new about you and about us in you. Something maybe that we knew before, but we know at a deeper level because we have made it here this morning and listened to these words. So we do pray that you would speak loudly and that Jason would fade to the background. That it would be your word that speaks to our hearts. That your word would challenge our hearts. That your word would transform our hearts. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, uh, new year, new opportunities. Uh, you know, await all of us in this new year who keep our eyes on Jesus, right? Developing sort of healthy habits of turning the pages of Scripture you know, to find our place and our purpose in the story of God, right? And uh, having been given God's manual of hope, the Bible, um, we are invited to turn those pages this coming year to unpack its message for, our, for us, valuing the opportunity to receive new life in Christ and also to appreciate the gift of growing in our biblical knowledge and what, is it, what does that mean, right? And we find in it, a consistent message that the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. That he has been orchestrating and unfolding a plan throughout history of reconciliation and salvation wrought solely by himself and solely for his glory. So in thinking about change in this new year, we're reminded that Jesus offers and insists that we are different creatures in him now. And I'm not sure we really understand how important that is, that the old is no longer available to us. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Focus on that word new this morning, right? Do you consider yourself to be a new creation in Christ? Is that a spiritual reality about you, imbued with the ability to walk in righteousness, to pursue holiness, a person who has become literally, as you are, uh, as, as the Bible states, that you are literally the righteousness of God now, that you're righteous of God, of God in Christ. That's what the Bible tells us about us, right? Now that little phrase, in Christ, is, that is found twice in this verse, is written 165 times in the New Testament. Such frequent occurrence in the Scriptures means that there's something very important about that. For instance, uh, in another verse, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation. Think about that verse. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, right? That's a little prepositional phrase. It's easy to just say. It just rolls off your tongue so easily, but it's packed with intense theological truth about us. That's what we explore today. One little small aspect of truth that we find when we are in a good habit of turning the pages of, of Scripture, uh, turning the pages of our Bible over this year to come. 
in Christ, that little phrase, is the idea of residing in safety within or stowed away inside something else, right? You think about the ark. The story of the ark holds that same imagery, doesn't it? One which foreshadowed that little phrase, by the way, in Christ. Remember that those that were in the ark were safe from the destructive flood outside of it as, they, as the world around them was destroyed and it was literally reformed. They rose above that. They rose above all that. They floating, you know, floating over all the destruction and closed in the safety of that great ark until a new ground, a new earth emerged below their feet to live life again. The Lampanese, where Kim and I served in South Sumatra, uh, produce what they call kain kapal. Um, we would say kapal kain, right? Ship cloth, but they say ship, you know, that translates ship cloths, right? But they have these ancient, we have one that's in our bedroom, it's over our bed. And they have ancient stories uh, that a ship would come down from heaven at the end of days, at the end of time, and would take all the Lampanese up to safety in heaven. Isn't that a great little, you know, uh, analogy or little story? It's a redemptive analogy used by Christians when they are witnessing to the Lampungis, equating that ship to Christ, right? And I think there's possibly some sort of residual memory of the global flood way back in their history that led to that story. They, we find those, those stories in all cultures, all these different cultures across the world, so maybe it's in theirs. In the Old Testament, we also see the concepts of cities of refuge, right? If a person committed a crime, they could run to a city and, they could, and while they're in it, they, they were safe. Nothing from the outside could touch them or harm them. So this idea of being in Christ means that we are absolutely safe in Him. There is no condemnation in Christ. He is our ark. He is our city of refuge, right? Meaning that he doesn't just wipe away our past sin and zero out our account, right? As if we had to sort of keep working to stay in good favor with him. You know, at the threat of being you know, thrown overboard at the first mistake we make. Remember, it's, it's past sin, present sin, future sin has been paid for by Jesus in full. It's a comprehensive safety of full salvation that has been laid upon us. Colossians 3.3 tells us, for you died, you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So in Christ, the truth about us is that we've been made new. We've been hidden away in him, carried along by that ship of Christ through all the destruction that the world brings with it, waiting the new earth below our feet, the new creation when the, the end of days comes. And this is simply because God is love. God is love. And as such, he affects salvation because his heart has always, from the very beginning, been to reconcile and renew the central theme which like, sort of permeates all of Scripture from beginning to end, right? Romans 8, 1 through 17 clearly speaks in this vein. It says this, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. 
And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So notice there that Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, as a, as a person, as a man, not in sinful flesh. And this is why the virgin birth that we celebrated last week at Christmas was so, it has always been very important. It's something you cannot throw out. You can't say, well, he, he couldn't have been born, born a virgin. That's not, that's not a negotiable part of the scriptures, right? He was not born of human will and human desire, but he was born by the Spirit of God. It's a very important point. There, this is why the bodily death and resurrection of Christ was so important. When the Gnostics said, you know, he wasn't really crucified and things like that, 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 we can't say that. The bodily death and resurrection of Christ is extremely important to what we believe. It's central. He lived this perfect life in a human body in order to satisfy the requirements of the, per, of, of, uh, of the perfect and final spotless sacrifice. Because sin had to be paid for in blood, or it had to be paid for by death. And since sin was born... Uh, or out of, a, out of human will that we chose to sin, it had to be by human sacrifice, right? But only God could accomplish salvation through forgiveness as the offended party. And not to mention no human could accomplish a sin, sinless record. You know, Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that verse, right? So Jesus entered our reality as fully God, fully man, the perfect Lamb of God. These are important points. And that was foreshadowed in all of the Old Testament sacrifices with the blood shed on the altar to make atonement for the sin of Israel. This is not just ancient stories. They're they're indicative to our human nature. They are very important. So when you read the Scriptures over a lifetime, when you really immerse yourself in them, the story and the image of our loving God only become more amazing and more clear, right? Paul continues, verse 5, he says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to, in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So without repentance and faith, we reside outside of Christ, governed by the flesh, buffeted and flailing in, in the waves of life where we would eventually drown, we would eventually die. Since staying in our sin without Christ's righteousness covering our lives, brings spiritual death and then eventually literal death. But Paul was not writing to people outside of Christ. He was writing to the Christians in Corinth who were already in Christ. Yet they were being tempted, like we are, uh, to forget who they actually were in him. This is a battle for your mind, this stuff, right? So he continues, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If indeed, right? And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, 
the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. So not only do we experience this new spiritual life in Christ when we come to Him, right? But eventually, when it's all said and done, we will be raised anew, recreated in a new heavenly body for eternity. And that is good news. That is really good news. It continues in verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, this, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, I, I want us not to misinterpret Paul's words there. He says it's the work of the Spirit, the Spirit of God in us, to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Not us. Not us. God does this in us. In other words, our job is simply to abide in Christ, right? And His Spirit does the work of regeneration and transformation in us. Jesus said in John 15, 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Christ does the work as we abide in His Word, taking on His heart and His desires. We could equate this with the process of gold plating, right? Have you ever seen that? They used to do this in the, in the open markets in Indonesia, a little guy just sitting down on the ground, gold plating things for people. And in that process, the, a, a metal object is given a negative charge, and the gold particle solution that you dip it into is given a, po- po- a positive charge, yeah. And when you put the object you know, into the gold solution, the positive and, and negative ions attract each other, and they bond, leaving you with this gold layer over an object, and it's kind of cool, right? And our job, like that, is to immerse ourselves in Christ, in His Word, Allowing him to cover us and transform us. Change does not come by self-effort, right? But by putting ourselves in the position of being changed by Christ, by immersion, by immersion in his word, immersion in the life of Christ. And this is why Paul also writes in Galatians 5.16, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, notice it does not say, don't gratify the desires of the flesh, then you will be walking by the Spirit. You know, many people these days have porn addictions or whatever. It's just the easiest thing to identify, and they fight against that. Oh, I just won't do it again, right? But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The concept is to keep your heart focused on Christ, allowing Him to do the work in you, and for you. So it is a matter of believing truth about yourself, as Romans chapter 12, verse verse 2 dictates. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. That is the passive tense. It's done to you by something else, by the renewing of your mind. And we have so much coming into our minds these days. How much time do we give Christ to really renew our minds, right? We are saved once and for all by Christ's sacrifice. And we are transformed over time by the renewing of our minds, the renewing of our thoughts, not in trying harder to change ourselves. It doesn't work. To put ourselves in the position is to immerse ourselves in the Word of God on a consistent basis, giving it free reign to transform us. 
And it's amazing when you see somebody actually putting that into practice and how much they change over time. It's kind of like drawing a portrait, right? If you've ever watched an artist draw a portrait, you'd notice most of their attention is not on the paper, but on the subject. And their hand almost you know, moves without even looking at the, at the drawing at all. They check back and forth, but they really are just kind of doing this. Allowing the subject, the form, the shape, the feeling of it, the character of it to dictate the movements of your hand. And when an artist is practiced at this, the end result is not only a technically you know, accurate drawing, but one that is imbued with the character and the life of that person. That's why that's the difference between great art and mediocre art, probably, right? And this is where, by the way, modern psychology cripples us. And we think if we just spend enough time working on ourselves that we can overcome our sinful nature. But we can't. Maybe we're not even think of it, thinking of it as our sinful nature, but just our bad habits. Maybe small changes might occur when we do that, but the core issues go unchanged. We look at the drawing and not the subject. And if we're not focused on the subject, we will never know where the lines fall on the page, right? It's a work of the Spirit of God in us as we abide in Christ. Yet we pigeonhole people, don't we? We really do with with concepts like the Enneagram. And I know a lot of people love it. I can't stand it. The more I've looked at it, the more I've thought about it, the more I hear people talk about it, I just can't stand it. Because in it, we assign a person a number with an accompanying personality description, and then then we get them to say, well, I'm a two or I'm a six or whatever it is, and, you know, I can't change that. But that's not what the gospel says. Well, I can't change that. I just have to learn new techniques of dealing with people that aren't like me. But the gospel says something different. The gospel says that you have been made new of being formed into the likeness of Christ. That if you're not naturally compassionate, Christ can make that up in you. He can can bring that about in you as you gaze upon Him. That if you're overly anxious, He can overcome that in you as you gaze upon Him. That if you are an unforgiving person, His Spirit will develop forgiveness in you as you gaze upon Him, etc., and so on and so forth. Now, I know there's physio- physiological differences. Sometimes we have those issues, and I believe those are as a, a result of the fall, the result of the twist in, in nature because of that. But the truth of the matter, across the board, transformation is possible for us. But, all, but self-absorption, like navel-gazing, only keeps us locked in this, you know, developing our own self-righteousness, that I'm doing all the work instead of resting on Christ's righteousness in our lives. And, and, and when doing that, there's no real lasting transformation that occurs. You know, talking with a counselor may be good, and I'm not, I'm not knocking that necessarily. And maybe Christian counselors should begin each session with the question, are you abiding in Christ? Are you walking in the Spirit? And maybe they should end each, se- each uh, session with a challenge to keep your eyes focused on Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith, the author and perfecter of your emotions, the author and perfecter of your character, right? 
to go back to the scriptures, immersing yourself in them, not for the purpose of self-help, but to better know your God, since as his creation, it's only in him that you find true value, true worth, and any transformation, and that you're made new. Paul ends that section with, uh, like this, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his, glo- his glory. So we are children, we are heirs, we share in his glory. Wonderful concepts that, that which should birth gratitude in us, right? The Westminster Larger Catechism written in 1648 opens with a question and an answer. And the question is, what is the chief and highest end of man? And the answer is, Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever. It's kind of a strange thought, right? Just to enjoy God forever. The concepts that we speak of today are reason to enjoy God forever. That's the truth of the matter. Julian of Norwich once wrote, The greatest honor we can give to God is to live gladly because of the knowledge of His love. What God most wants, most wants is to see you smile because you know how much he loves you. We delight in a God who actually delights in us. That's not just fuzzy feel-good stuff. That's truth. So as we face a new year, we have a chance to start fresh, don't we? To consider and live in the reality that the love of Christ is in our hearts and the world is under our feet. The focus of all who profess Christ is that they are new creatures, a new heart, a new nature. So great is the change that the grace of God makes in the soul that old things pass away. Old thoughts, old principles, old practices all pass away and all these things must become new. And so regenerating grace creates a new world in the soul, and all things are new in us. The renewed person acts out of new principles, acts by new rules, acts with new ends in mind, right, and and, and in new company sometimes. Paul uses the word kainos twice here in 2 Corinthians 5.17, the word new, right? And that's a word that is used a total of 42 times in the New Testament, meaning recently, like recently made, fresh, recent, unused, unworn, unprecedented, uncommon, novel, right? The same word that Jesus used to describe the wineskins in Matthew 9, 17, he says, neither is new wineskin put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled out, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. It's used in Luke twenty-two twenty, right? In reference to the first practice of the Lord's table, when Jesus gave them the cup, and he said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 
Galatians 6.15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, right? But a new creation, signifying that Christ has abolished the old order. He has satisfied the law that hung over our heads, and it's now a matter of simply believing and living as a new creation in him. Or Ephesians 4, 21 through 24, it says, When you heard about Christ and were taught in him, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your, your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Putting off, that phrase putting off signifies the need for repentance. Right? And that is simply turning away from sin. It's not the struggle of saying, ah, I just I promise I won't do that again. I'll just try harder, Jesus. If fighting in our own flesh to be better people, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about just turning away. It's simply a turning away from one thing and a turning to another thing to be filled by it, since putting on signifies turning towards Christ to be renewed in our minds. Because Hebrews 9.15 says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Which all leads to Romans, or I'm sorry, Revelation 21.5. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. That, amen to that, because that is what Jesus is doing in people and in the world, whether it looks like it or not, you know. Paul refers to us as being this new, unprecedented, uncommon creation, as the old is gone. And then he declares the arrival of the new creation a second time in that one short verse. Newness is a common thread, common theme in Scripture. Part of being this new creation is simply learning how to live as one. God's story is never changing, right? His offer to, uh, of new life can be seen throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament as well. And at times, we need to be delivered from a situation or even our own unbelief or our own false beliefs or a tough season in our lives or whatever. But the truth of the matter is that God is in the deliverance business. He's making all things new. The trick is not to try harder in being a better person when in our difficulties, right? But simply to abide in Jesus, believing you have newness in Him. Identifying lies that you may be even telling yourself or that the world is telling you, tell, say, saying about you, not conforming to those lies, right? To know and to live in the fact that y- your sins, past, present, and future, are covered under this new covenant of Christ. That is freedom. That is true freedom. You are not condemned. You are not trapped. Transformation and healing can happen by the Spirit of God. You are not old wineskins with new wine poured into them, right? You are new, new wineskins with the, the wine of the blood of Christ poured into you, filled up. I want you to notice how much scripture we've read today, right? Because part of, a, 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 of abiding in Christ is immersion in his word because his truth is what transforms us. 
Truth which battles the lies by the power of the Spirit, right? So turning the page in a new calendar year doesn't mean all of our previous, you know, concerns, troubles, problems, and all that stuff are magically gone. We're not saying that. But it does mean that we can have a fresh outlook on what God has done in us and does for us each and every day. So as we turn the pages of Scripture, we find hope as well as our place and purpose in the larger story of God. Committing, you know, to turning those pages of the Bible in the coming year and reading it will be life-changing for us if we actually do it. Listening to a radio commercial this week, what is that stuff called? Nature? I forget. But the lady said, uh, she claimed our purpose in life is to stay healthy and strong for our loved ones. And I thought, that's an overstatement, <laughs> right? That's not my purpose in life, although I would like to do that for my wife and my kids. Our purpose is actually to glorify God and to enjoy God for eternity. And that right now is expressed in at least one little practical way that in the gratitude of my own renewal, of my own newness, that I bring this message to others. And that's what we're doing with Alpha. That's why we're doing Alpha, right? We see this in in, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, after verse 17, 18 through 21. It says, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and, and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself. This is, you know, what is that ministry? It it is this, verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He's given us that task. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, therefore be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A.W. Tozer once wrote this, What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Right? That's what you like. I always say, everything's theological. Every thought you have, every belief you have is theological. It, it defines how you see God. So what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We, were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to that question, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. We'll know where he'll end up. And I agree with that. Our thoughts about God determine not only who we are, but how we're going to live and the relationship that we will have with him. So if we think he's harsh and demanding, we'll keep our distance. We won't have a very good relationship. If we think he's vague and impersonal, or our relationship reflects that. If we think he isn't serious about our sin nature and needing to kill that off, our lives will reflect that. It's crucial to have the right image of God in your thinking, in your heart. Because with false views, we commit idolatry since we are certainly worshiping something that is false. It's not the true God of the Bible. But when we come to know the God that is revealed in Jesus, you cannot help to fall in love. Right? The more we know of the nature and the work of the triune God that is in the Scriptures, the more we are are just enthralled with the truth of who He is. 
The scriptures reveal to us a good, beautiful, loving, trustworthy, self-sacrificial, forgiving, powerful, caring God, bent on reconciliation, wanting us to all enjoy him forever and for eternity. I watched this little video this week of college kids, you know, do you ever read the Bible? And they, Their answers were like, yeah, none of that's true, I never read it. You know, that, oh, it's just a mean, angry God. None of that. They've never picked it up and read it. That's such a shame that we are losing our biblical literacy in this, in this country. Because living as a new creation requires us to live in Christ and his purposes, which may mean different patterns, you know, different behaviors, thoughts, and habits. But we are gifted with this wonderful manual, right? How to know God. So use it this year. Spend your daily time in the Word. Read through the Bible in a year. Dave Christie just, is just finishing it up. You know, before New Year's, he was fish, finishing his up. Immerse yourself in the Scriptures. Be Christ-plated, right? Turn away from the patterns of this world and turn towards Christ and allow Him to define and develop character and to give you purpose, Right? And then Romans 15, 13 will be true of you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Great verse. Because when you enjoy God in Christ, hope and joy and peace, all those things start to overflow out of you in your actions, in your words, and anything else. And anybody near you just can't help to get sopping wet with that kind of stuff. And then... You'll be fulfilling your purpose without even trying because Christ will be seeing Jesus and hearing Jesus in your life. Amen? <laughs> Let me pray for us as we go into communion. Father, this being the first Sunday of the month in a new year, we want to come to this table knowing that you have brought us newness, that you change us, that it is by the power of your spirit and the truth of your word that you kill off those things that are not of you in our lives. We ask that you would grab us by the cheeks and turn our face towards yours. That this whole year, 2023, would be the year of total change for us as individuals. And as a church, we just pray something different happens this year. That we grow close to you in intimacy and knowledge and understanding and that that changes everything about us. Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we want to proclaim that. We want to live it. We want to remember it day in and day out. And we want to bring others, people to this table as well. So we pray for your blessing on this course, this Alpha course. We pray your blessing on us in our workplaces, school, school, 